Welcome back to Comics Over Time, a podcast where we take a trip through the history of Marvel Comics with a focus on some of the important and interesting comic stories that inspired the Hollywood blockbusters of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Every two weeks we take a batch of comics, then we watch the related MCU movie or TV show, and after we're done we connect the dots from the comic book panels to the moving pictures and try and answer that most important of questions, who told the tale best? The books or the screen adaptation? My name is Dwayne, and with me, as always, is my good buddy Dan. Dan, have we got something in store today, huh? Yes, we do, don't we? So, <laughs> we are, we, oh my goodness. So, we're back in current day again. We try, we keep trying to get away and go and get, uh, get some of our backlog out, and Disney keeps pulling us back in. So this week they debuted their second Marvel special, actually last week, November 25th. Special is a mostly live-action sci-fi sitcom episode that features the Guardians of the Galaxy searching the galaxy and Hollywood to find the perfect Christmas gift for Star-Lord. So, yeah, yes. Guardians of the Galaxy <laughs> Holiday Special 2022. Yes, this is... Uh... Unexpected, but it, it's been known for a while. And, and so we're going to dive in and talk about it here after just a little bit. But first, as always, we're going to talk a little bit about this week in comics. And there was apparently a little bit of a uh, a dust up or, or, or some disagreement about the current state of movies in Hollywood between a pretty big named uh, director and uh, an actor, I think, who's benefited quite a bit by uh, being in some Marvel movies. Yeah, I think it's interesting that a lot of the sort of biggest proponents of old school Hollywood and of sort of movie making as it as it was for most of the 20th century have started to really find their sort of their nerves are getting a little raw about the state mm-hmm. of the cineplex with Marvel movies sort of taking over everything and and not just Marvel movies but a lot of the science fiction and fantasy trilogies and sequels and everything else. So Quentin Tarantino sort of actually uh, was the, the most recent director to sort of mention that he had some problems with it. And he was doing an interview for another podcast called Two Bears, One Cave this last week and said something along the lines of, part of the marvelization of Hollywood is you have all these actors who've become famous playing these characters, but they're not movie stars, right? Captain America is the star, or Thor is the star. I mean, it's not the person, or I'm not the person to say that. I think that's been said a million times. But it's like, you know, it's these franchise characters that become the star. And I think this is a weird thing for him to say, because obviously when you have a movie, every movie has a character. And the mm-hmm. character doesn't necessarily become the star. You know, Vincent Vega did not have his career resuscitated by Pulp Fiction. John Travolta did, right? Right. And that doesn't mean that somehow there wasn't a character there. But it does seem that what he's basically saying is that you now have more and more a Hollywood where actors sort of inhabit their parts for a good part of their career. And there's a part of me that understands this and understands why it's good for actors and why it's good for us. My favorite actor of all time is Humphrey Bogart. And Humphrey Bogart spent the better part of the 30s and 40s playing Humphrey Bogart, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, he really did. Right. In, in, every, in every movie, pretty much, he was... The character but the interesting thing is that really that shows how things have changed because robert downey jr spent most of the last 20 years playing him or 10 15 years playing himself as tony stark but we think of him more now almost of tony stark rather than as robert downey jr whereas bogey was always bogey mm-hmm. and even so though Downey Jr. 
did kind of actually reference this in a, a thing to Deadline. And he said, I think we're in a time and place that I unwittingly contributed to where IP has taken precedence over principle and personality. But it's a double-edged sword. A piece of IP is only as good as a human talent. You get to re represent it. And you can have some great IP, even if it's coming from an auteur or a national treasure of a writer-director. And if you don't have the right kind of artist playing that role, you'll never know how good it could have been. What it seems he's basically saying is, yes, IP can be dangerous and it does take over, but you can still make great stuff in the sandbox if you have the right people. And you can still make absolute junk in the sandbox if you have the wrong people. Right. So it's not that movie making as a craft no longer is important. But both of them really, I think, agree that we are getting into an era where, you know, when when you go to a Marvel movie, you're going to a Marvel movie. You're not going to a Scorsese movie. You're not going to a Tarantino movie. Right. You're not going to a Dustin Hoffman movie. Uh huh. You know, and it felt, and, and that's what it was. You know, pre MCU, I think mm -hmm. is is you know, I remember things like even something like Avatar or something. It was it was like see what Cameron has done now and mm -hmm. and all this sort of thing. And so, yeah, it's yep. it's really interesting. Yep, and Spielberg, you know, yeah, same thing, and Spielberg. Oddly, with things like Raiders, actually helped contribute to the IP <laughs> yeah. culture that has now sort of killed him because Fablemans appears to be a great movie and it completely bombed because it's simply not the sort of thing people go to theaters to see anymore. And that's sad because I'm really yeah. looking forward to seeing Fableman and now I'm going to have to run out and see the Fablemans in like the next couple weeks because it's probably going to be out of theaters in no time. And so... We will see how it all goes. But it's interesting because you're now starting to see some of these people who are very important on the scene. And somebody like Tarantino, who thinks a lot and thinks deeply about and cares deeply about Hollywood history, really starting to step back and go, this is messed up. And knowing Quentin Tarantino's body of work, I'm pretty sure he's a comic book kid, you know? Mm -hmm. He would have been reading geek stuff, watching geek stuff when he was younger. But now, sort of stepping back and going, yeah, this is a little bit crazy. So, we'll see how it all works out. But yes, there are every once in a while these weird little fractures that you start seeing coming out. There's a lot of people in Hollywood who are deeply disturbed about Marvel and the way things are going. Yeah, it seem, seems to be a lot of directors. It seems like whenever I see comments kind of criticizing the, the the Marvel way of doing things, it tends to be a lot of the really high-profile directors that, that seem to be the most outspoken about it. Actors are still all hoping for a paycheck from Disney, so they don't want <laughs> Probably, to yeah, probably. <laughs> but... Uh... Yeah, Scorsese and uh, I, I don't think there's going to be a lot of Tarantino Marvel movies coming out in the near future. That seems sure. not family friendly for Disney anytime no. in the near future. So, other than that, I guess the next thing I wanted to check in on is I got a call from you whilst I was walking around uh, out doing some early Christmas shopping last week. You were at a comic store and you were looking for recommendations yes. for non-superhero comics. Yes. I could not have been happier. So <laughs> I had you look for a couple of things and then uh -huh. it sounds like you didn't find them, but you got something else. Tell us what you found, I, what you were looking I, for. I did. So yeah, I was. I, I went to go pick up uh, the November Moon Knight that I hadn't gotten to yet because of the new job. It was keeping me busy and, and I don't now work right by the comic book store anymore so I, it's a little bit more of a jaunt and uh i thought while i was there i should try and see if i could find something else that would be interesting i had a few hours on, on saturday afternoon that i would have time to read something if i got something so i thought what the heck so i called you gave me a couple recommendations 
And I thought I would go non-superhero because we're doing a lot of, we're reading a lot of superhero books here. So I thought I'd try something else. And yep. uh, they they did not have the recommendations that you were you were you had suggested, but uh, the young 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 guy that that helped me pointed out eight billion genies, which is an eight part limited series that started uh, early, early uh, earlier this year, and yep. actually the is running through January twenty twenty three. And, um, it's, it's quite good. I actually got the first, I got the first book. It was, they had some reprints of, of issue one, uh, for local comic book store day. And, uh, so I picked that up and then ended up buying digital copies of all the, all the rest of the books that are out. And I've read half of them so far. Uh, so there's six that are out. I've read the first three and, have really been enjoying the story and and the story is about uh a world in which all of a sudden every man woman and child on on earth gets a genie just pops up and and will grant one wish not three wishes just one wish so you have to think about what you're going to do with this one wish and it's showing kind of the immediacy to eventually the more longer term of the consequences of 8 billion people getting getting uh one wish uh and so it is it is quite something and uh yes the artwork is very cool uh i've been really impressed with the artwork the story is really interesting as well and and i read that uh amazon ended up winning the rights to uh produce a tv TV show or a movie for this, and, and I don't I think know this how to actually... adapt this. It's Holy it's really it seems really weird. Yeah, there's going to be some serious effects budget to do this. Uh, so as a note, I have been buying six, Eight Billion Genies since it started coming out. So I was just showing Dwayne my my six copies here that I've got one through six myself in in pamphlet form. I really enjoy this. It's Charles Sewell, uh, drawn by Ryan Brown. Excellent, excellent stuff. Ooh, look at that. Yeah, so, so, yeah, it, so the local comic book version actually had basically a blank cover, and you could have, like, on local comic book store day, you could have potentially had a artist in the, in the, in the, in the store or whatever, and so this was a way that you could potentially get them to draw you a genie, so. Or you take, or you take it to a convention sometime. Those are actually, yeah. they're called sketch covers. You can take them to cons and then have artists at the convention, preferably Ryan Brown, I suppose, but really anybody yeah. who you happen to want to have put a genie on it, draw you a genie on the cover. So, yeah, that uh, that's awesome. But I, I really salute the comic store person who worked with you because the things that I'd kind of recommended is, like, you know, non-superhero, something that would be a finite story, so it's not like you know, recommending Saga to someone and then, oh, by the way, here's the next nine trade paperbacks you need to, yeah. to read, you know, and the story still isn't finished. That this is eight, it's done. Uh, I really was a good call by the person who made it as a, you know, considering the parameters, it sounded like you gave them based off what we talked about. I, uh, I salute them. That was excellent work. So, yes. And yeah, if anybody else is interested, I've been enjoying it. My daughter's been enjoying it. She's reading them with me as well, and it's it's good stuff. Have you read all six yet? Just the first three. I'm kind of savoring these last three uh, until we get a little until we get number seven out, and then I'll probably read a couple more and then read the last yeah. two together or something like that. There's, there's a couple of there's a couple of very cool twists to the plot that we'll, uh, we won't give away, but nonetheless, uh, yeah. Well, well, we're taking a look if any of you are interested in. So, and with that, I think we uh, we've got a show to take a look at. So probably we should uh, hit the spoiler warning and uh, head on in and take a look at that if you're okay with it. Yes. Yeah, so this is your spoiler warning. If you have not seen Guardians of the Galaxy, the holiday special that came out on November 25th, please stop the recording now, watch it, and then come back. Especially if you don't want to hear us 
talk, give the whole plot away in the in the two minute recap and then some of the discussion uh, that will occur afterwards. It really actually is a pretty, pretty cute little story. And so I definitely would recommend seeing it first before hearing hearing us talk about it. So please go now, watch it and then come back and we will we will be here waiting for you. All right, our film facts for Guardians of the Galaxy Holiday Special is this was released November 25th, 2022. It has a runtime of 44 minutes and is rated TV 14. It has an IMDb rating currently of 7.1 out of 10. It stars Dave Bautista, Pam Clementieff, Sean Gunn, Chris Pratt, and Kevin Bacon. Yes, I that is correct. Directed by and written by James Gunn. And with that, Dan, you All have right. a recap for us. I do. This is a relatively quick one, partly because it's only a 44-minute show. And this is not a plot-heavy piece, right? No. This is, uh, this is pretty, uh, pretty late fare. So... We begin with a Christmas-themed Marvel logo that then leads into an animated first segment where young Peter Quill and Kraglin have their Christmas on the ship ruined by Yondu. We then see, and Yondu like takes the Christmas tree and wrecks it, and Ravagers don't have Christmas and everything. We then see that this was Kraglin actually recounting this story to the other Guardians as they look out over nowhere, which they'd bought from the Collector. Kraglin is noting that on Earth it's almost Christmas. And we then cut down to the main level where we see Peter Quill. A weird song about Christmas follows, after which Mantis and Drax take off to Earth in order to retrieve Kevin Bacon and give him to Quill as a Christmas present. The two of them wander around Hollywood for a bit, make some money taking pictures with tourists, spend all their money drinking in a bar, and then have to steal a map to the stars using Mantis's powers. They break into Kevin Bacon's home, chase him down the street, have a fight with local cops, and after beating up the police and giving them a candy cane to say that they're sorry, they kidnap Kevin Bacon and fly away with him, along with a spaceship full of presents, snow machines evidently, unless they just had them on Nowhere, and decorations. Back at Nowhere, the gang lights up the town, starts some Christmas music, and rolls out Kevin Bacon in a box for Peter. Bacon pops out of the box and is unnaturally happy until Mantis is forced to take him out of his trance and he freaks out a bit before joining in the fun, singing a song with the band, and in the end, everyone gets gifts. Peter tells Mantis about the happy ending to the animated Yondu Christmas story that they started earlier where Peter and Yondu end up exchanging gifts, and Mantis tells Peter that she is his sister giving him the greatest Christmas gift he could ever get. I think very that's good. mostly it. So, very, very, very good stuff. This is ridiculous. So a couple things to know about this just from the get-go is from, from a continuity standpoint, this is set between the events of Thor, Love, and Thunder and the third Guardians in the Galaxy movie that is to be released next year. Uh, this was actually shot during the production of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, uh, occurring in February to late April of this year. So they actually filmed this entire special earlier this year and, and then was still able to release it later on in the year. And, it, and what's most interesting about this is this holiday special was the first piece of content Marvel Studios planned to create for Disney Plus. And, it orig and this was originally conceived by Gunn during the production of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 back in 2017. And had there not been a Disney Plus, this was going to appear on ABC. Which is really, which is, which is really interesting. And and oh. the other thing that uh, some some of the actual uh, people that have been reviewing this have actually kind of talked about this being the Guardians of the Galaxy two point five, 
And there actually is a bit of truth to that because Gunn noted in an interview, he talked about this holiday special being a quote unquote Trojan horse that allowed him to introduce some important elements that he wouldn't need to then have to explain in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Some of that would include, you know, some of the recent history about what the Guardians have been up to, uh, how they operate now out of nowhere, uh, their new ship that is called the Bowie, uh, that Cosmo the Space Dog is now a member of the Guardians, and then, quote, a couple of bigger pieces of spoilery lore, which I, I think you may have uh, kind of talked about at the very end of your recap there. So, mm-hmm. so, so some very interesting, I- interesting stuff here. And, and I don't know, I just before before we dive in, what do you think of holiday specials? Like, I don't there's not like. I think about like I've watched some Doctor Who holiday specials. Uh, I've watched Downton Abbey has done some holiday specials and stuff. And some of them, they, they're, they're all pretty self-contained. You don't need to have like there, there's not a lot going into them. But at the same time, it's like some of this stuff actually does have ramifications uh, to the stories going forward. And so like if you miss them, it can kind of be a big deal. Yeah, and I, I mean, I think that, especially when you look at the BBC, they have a history of, you know, like Sherlock had more like a, you know, that one sort of sort of holiday special or, or whatever it would be called. Um, those were definitely, and those are more like regular episodes. But I think that thematically, and just in a lot of other ways, this is so different even from the goofiness that is a normal guardians of the galaxy that it really almost needs to be thought of as a different kind of a different branch at least you know i I don't think i'm comfortable calling this guardians 2.5 because it's just too goofy and it's too its own thing yeah they do they do a lot of crazy stuff but in this i think this really is more just like a like an, an off-on-its-own animated special, which, like you said, does it does introduce a lot of these concepts, which is going to make it easier for them to just dive right into the story in 3, if that's where they're starting. It mm-hmm. sounds like now we're going to find the Guardians hanging out in nowhere at the start of Guardians 3, and then that's where the story's going to go from. Right. And it'll be easy to do that now. I, I find this very weird, because normally... But I guess maybe like the Sherlock, you know, one of the Sherlock holiday specials was Sherlock in Victorian times. Maybe it is kind of like that. It's just something that's kind of a chance to do something totally different. So so inspiration for this, Gunn, Gunn talked about being a huge fan of the Star Wars holiday special. That is actually something I've never seen. And and oh. that is, it is that, that tends to have... Some rather interesting reactions for from people that that talk about it, as well as animated specials like the Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer from 1964, or How the Grinch Stole Christmas uh, from 1966 that, that he watched as a as a child. So you can kind of see some of that in the in this, and that it's very self contained. There's a lot of a lot of humor in it, and that sort of thing. You you about fell out of your chair when I mentioned the Star Wars holiday yeah, special. When- for those of you not able to see me holding my head in my hands when he talked about that, it does remind me of the Star Wars Holiday Special when you mention it. Yeah. Uh, it is It is something that is thematically just so off, and the characters act in such over-the-top ways and everything. The Holiday Special is terrible, you know. <laughs> this is literally, it was, it was aired once. Over the holidays, uh-huh. George Lucas did not know really what was going on. He was busy. Somebody else did some of the production or whatever, evidently. He saw it. He said, never will anyone ever see it again. And I think it was rumored he like bought up all the prints or tried to and removed it from all media. And it was not seen again other than on bootleg copies at conventions and stuff for like 40 years. Right? Uh-huh. It really is terrible television. 
Um, Sweet. That doesn't mean it isn't entertaining. But you want to <laughs> have course. a significant pile of eggnog in you before you watch this thing. So, um, yeah. And, and there are just goofy, offbeat elements of this that I think correspond to this. I'm torn on this. We may have some... I know a lot of people really enjoyed this. And I liked it. But I think you also really enjoyed it. You had a good time with it. It was, it was it was very solid. Like I didn't have big expectations going into it. Uh, I had no idea like what the story would be or who it would center around, and and it just it, it was just fun. I, I guess that yes. that's the best thing I would say about this. It was just fun. It, it is it is it is short. And Super late entertainment. Yeah, very light entertainment. If it's just something you want to have on uh, at the holiday party or something in the background, it's fine. And and yep. you're, it, it and so from that standpoint, I we're, we'll talk about the music after a little bit. But let's let's start with let's let's start with who this kind of story centers around because. The, the choice of having Mantis and Drax kind of being the featured characters in this, I think, is, was kind of a stroke of genius, almost, in that it really did allow for them to do whatever they wanted. And it lets them take, especially with Mantis, a character who is newer to the team, and give her a little bit of a chance to get sort of, you know, a bit more time in front of people before heading into the next movie. Yeah. And everybody loves Drax, so why not? Yes. May as well yes. more Drax. So. Yes. Uh, I, I had read that the Gunn decided to focus on Drax and Mantis's relationship in the special because he felt those characters had kind of been sidelined outside of their appearances in, in Guardians 2 and Guardians 3. He goes on to describe the two as having a kind of Abbott and Costello vibe except both are costello adding quote they do not have any of the values that human beings would normally have so they don't have the same boundaries that we have they're like following an unattended fire hose around (laughs) and and that is that is a very just like from the start as soon as they get to earth that's kind of how it feels actually you know, and if that's what he sent out to make, the beautiful thing is, that's exactly what he made. Yeah. His, yeah. It is just a gonzo stream of, it's not even stream of consciousness, it's just stream of action somehow. They just, mm-hmm. whatever they might think, they just do, no matter how ridiculous it is. And they've set out on a path, and they're going to accomplish that path. And, yeah. It's pretty nuts. But I, I do think that it did make for some really, really nice comedy because both characters just have that, that no filter, no stop kind of thing that allows them to be a, a really interesting pair to watch because, because both of them thinks the other one is doing something ridiculous, even while they're doing something just as ridiculous. Equal, equally or more so ridiculous. Yes, yes. But are not self-aware to realize their own behavior is bonkers they just are bothered by the other persons the the little man and the candy cane is just absolutely ridiculous Mm -hmm. once they get to kevin bacon's house it is it it is actually great uh so what did you think about them around the chinese theater there at the at the very beginning they end up they get to earth and they're like how how are we going to find them we're going to start looking around they walk by the Chinese theater and they're, they're seeing people dressed up as Captain America. In fact, Mantis actually thinks it's Steve Rogers. It is like, and, and and then you have, you have actually Drax beating up on one of the characters, like having to be held back and then eventually beating up on, on a character in the background that is dressed up. One of the girl bots. Yeah. 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 Yes. Yeah. It's, I think the crazy thing is that what you, what you've been seeing in the last few movies is the the MCU is an unbelievably self-aware sort of place to be. It's like everybody is Gwenpool, right? 
if Gwenpool in the comics is this character who comes from our Earth, and she's a comic book fan, and she survives in the Marvel Universe mostly because she's read all the comics and she knows everybody's secrets and backstory, <laughs> so she can just sort of make her way through all of this stuff, right? Uh -huh. And it almost seems like when you watch, you know, Rogers the Musical a little bit ago, and you see the fact that almost all of the, the various... Uh, shows now you've got something you know thanos was right coffee mugs and all this other stuff there's this massive marketing and the like of marvel characters and marvel ideas within the mcu itself yeah. so the characters are also celebrities and the like and their stories are sort of out there in various forms and the like you know somehow people know who, who drax is and are taking pictures with him well is you know is guardians of the galaxy a movie people are going to in the mcu how do they know who drax is it's not like he's been hanging around on earth <laughs> right but maybe the movie from from infinity war or whatever whatever the the you know docudrama that was made he's a part of it but so there's a bunch of just really meta stuff going on there and i can't yeah. help but kind of just go down that rabbit hole when i start seeing this of just how much do people know about the characters in this world? Yeah, yeah, because because yeah, it's it's really obvious people are taking pictures with the Captain America and stuff. But like as they're walking, kind of to the Chinese theater, you see people that are kind of looking at them like, "Hey, these are weird people that are like, are they dressed up? Are they like that? Yeah. They're not really." But but they end up taking a bunch of pictures with random people and, and get money for it, like they're, you know, street performers or whatnot, and, and and they end up using that to try and find where Kevin Bacon is, which is which is which is kind of crazy. Maybe it's maybe it's just that, you know, Mantis has got her, her uh, antennae and stuff like that and seems like a crazy character. But it seemed almost like people recognized them for, yeah. for who they were somehow or another. And so, yeah, I, I find all of that a little bit weird and disconcerting, but that's okay. We'll, we'll just sort of see how this all works out. Maybe, in fact, it's, it's even that Moon Knight, in his, in his guise as a movie producer, has been producing films about them. That would be yes. awesome. So. There you go. So, anyway, um, I did find that weird. You did mention one thing, by the way, that I did love and that everybody seems to love. And that is some of the music. And James yes. Gunn is always good with music. Yes. But evidently you've been you've been singing the song <laughs> or listening to the song. Yes. I don't know it, what do, Christmas is, but Christmas time is here. That opening song from the movie, it was actually written by James Gunn with the help of Rhett Miller from the old 97s. Old 97s are actually the band that sings that song at the beginning and then come back at the end and sing another song of theirs that they re-recorded with Kevin Bacon. Uh, okay. Yeah, so are they, are they actually the guys singing dressed up in, uh, yes, they in are various alien make or I, playing the guitars I, in. I think, I, th I think they are the ones actually dressed up in those costumes. Here it is. Christmas time is the song at the end of the film that they, they sang with Kevin Bacon. Go. Um, well, but yep. it, it, I, I absolutely loved it. The lyrics on it are absolutely crazy, but at the same time fit perfectly for a Guardians film. And and like what's crazy, one of the things out of I out of like all the movies, all the MCU movies, we we've talked about it a little bit with Moon Knight when we were when we were uh talking about the Moon Knight TV show, but MCU does a fantastic job of matching music to to what it, the the movie or the the or the TV show, mm -hmm. and you know I think some of the best music to movie that they've done is actually in the two Guardians of the Galaxy movies, and to then oh, come no question. and to come back and then have this brand new song that they wrote that that James Gunn wrote in the special and, and had it recorded with, with, with a band that I actually, 
I was an old 97s fan way back at, uh, in the early 2000s. I had a, an album or two of theirs, so I recognized really? them. And um, yeah, I was I was happy to hear them again. And this song, the lyrics of it are just, they're just so over the top that it is just so, it just, it, it is so perfect. Ah, to my knowledge, I had never heard of them. So they are they are new to me. I'll have to go back and find some of their stuff. But but yes, evidently, uh, my wife and daughter were driving home tonight, listening to I don't know what Christmas is, but Christmas time is is here on on the uh, like I don't know Amazon Music or whatever it is they found it on because yep. they are so taken with the song. So I think they've got a hit. Yeah, it as, is. as far as it goes. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, I, w- I was just going to say, for, for anybody who hasn't heard it yet, uh, it is about basically aliens explaining Christmas time uh, based on the information that they've been told. And, you know, it it's so fantastic that they're, you know, talking about uh, chestnuts roasting at an open fire, except that the chestnuts are being torched by a flamethrower uh, from Santa Claus and stuff. And so it's it's just because they are getting it second and third hand it is it it is all mangled and you know you've got yes. peter just like oh my god what are you doing to christmas as as, the, as they're playing this song it's fantastic he is just spectacular with it so no no particular surprise i guess but it was great so what else you got for us sir you've got trivia here you've got various notes and the like well so I, I don't know. I feel like we should with, with the inclusion of Kevin Bacon in this. So they they go, they get all this money, they go to a bar trying to find Kevin Bacon. They end up spending all the money that they got buying rounds for everybody and drinking and going crazy. They get a map to the stars because there happens to be a like a map of the stars rack right next to the right next to the bar, and this woman sells it to them or gives it to them after they don't have any money and they go and they, they go to Kevin Bacon's house. It's not actually Kevin Bacon's house. It's uh, actually the house was belonged to a music artist by the name of David Crowder. And, and so that is not actually Kevin Bacon's house, but it is, you know, a, a real house. And I just, it is crazy to me. I, I would not have expected Kevin Bacon to be in this film and he's basically playing himself he's playing a a stylized version of himself uh but apparently like once gun figured out the story that they were going to come to earth and try and kidnap somebody he, he said he immediately kevin bacon was the, was the person he thought of and, and so the fact that that was that was immediately where he went and then and then that uh and they were able to get him uh, to be in this, I think, is absolutely fantastic. I don't believe that, by the way. I 100% believe David Hasselhoff was originally going to be the person <laughs> they were going to kidnap. And they couldn't get so. him. And so for some reason, then then they had to settle on Kevin Bacon. But, yeah. I, I also think this is this is forever destroyed, the Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon game. Yeah. Because you can pretty much now go Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special into like infinity war and and you're at all <laughs> within like one maybe two steps you yes. know that's just the start of the game from now on but in any case yeah it was it was really kind of interesting to see i think that he, he did a nice job of just sort of playing a, a geeky version of himself and kind of playing along with it all and everything and it's it's always good to see Kevin Bacon. So I have no I have yeah. no complaints about that part. You know, it was entertaining. I I suspect maybe part of the hook was that he got to sing, which maybe you know he's in a band. He likes to sing. Yeah. I don't know if he gets to do music in his in most of his roles. So that's probably something that kind of attracted him to it. Yeah. So and and gobs of money. I'm yeah. sure. You know, Pro- prob- probably probably. There's Disney money behind it, so let's yes. not think everybody's just doing it for artistic reasons. So, yeah. So, so what do you think about the 
like lore ramifications or, or different things from a lore standpoint that we saw in this film. We have, uh, so I got, I got two or three things for you. Okay. If you want them. Sure. First off, um, we found out where star Lord got his blasters from. Yes. Evidently he got them for Christmas, which is weird considering he was raised <laughs> as a ravager. This, uh, to me, uh, when I was thinking about it, I'm like, this sort of joins the Nick Fury's eye, like how he lost it reveal from Captain Marvel, uh-huh. as one of the just weirdest sort of lore reveals we've had in the MCU. I'm I'm not sure which of them seems just sort of... It's, off, I'm sorry, it's still, go- it's still Goose. It's still Goose, it's, I'm sorry. It has to be Goose. It but, has to be Goose. Um, but that was weird to me. And then Mantis at the end revealing to Peter that Ego, who is Peter's father, is also her father. Uh, One thing that bothered me there is that then it takes Star-Lord like two seconds and he goes, so that means you're my sister? Like he's never considered how relations and human interactions (laughs) how did did it take him that long to figure this out was that peter or was that chris pratt there i'm not entirely sure correct that may well have been chris pratt so in any case uh, that is not only lore reveal but lore that's been retconned or established separately for the mcu because in the regular 616 universe, that is not what we have going. So on in terms of in terms of Mantis as a comic book character, she's actually just a human kid um, who was raised by this weird sect that was associated with the Kree, ended up sort of being raised almost like she was gonna become this thing called the Celestial Madonna, and then somehow got pulled off into the whole Marvel Cosmic universe. And all sorts of crazy things happened, etc. And eventually, she becomes Mantis. So, at no point in there is there anything that I know of that has anything to do with ego or really with Peter Quill in terms of family. Sure. So, surprise. <laughs> um, sure. Who who knows? But I'm I'm okay with this. I mean, it makes some sense considering she was there on the planet that. Uh, that, you know, she either had to have been kidnapped or she had to have been a kid. And so, in any case, we'll see how that plays out over the next one. But it is it is definitely a new a new piece of lore. What did you think of that? I, I was a bit surprised, but, like, they, they mentioned it actually very early on. Mantis mentions mm-hmm. it to Drax, and then she reveals it to Peter at the end of the episode. So... I, I think I was surprised when I heard her say it to him, and he's of course worried about the the like the the nuts that she that she yeah. eaten all of in the, on the ship instead, and not paying attention to what she's saying at all. Um, but yeah, I mean, I guess I didn't think too deeply about it, and so it was just like, oh, okay. And then like uh, Peter's reaction at the end, oh, this is the greatest gift I could have gotten, is like, oh, this. Feels very holiday, uh, you know, a holiday special esque sort of sort yes. of comment at the end, yeah. But we also saw um, Bucky's arm too. That was that was actually kind of cool. I I missed that the first time through. The, um, that <laughs> Rocket actually got Bucky's arm as a present, which is a deep cut going back to when he asked him for the arm way back in one of the movies a long time ago. So yes. Let's see here. And then uh, CGI and practical effects. I think this was interesting in that there isn't a lot of superpowers used in this. There's very little in terms of fighting and the like. And most of the effects seem like they were done more practically. Like it almost seems like I I would not be surprised if if some of the scenes were like uh, Mantis and and Drax jumping on trampolines on the other side of walls and stuff like that to... To make the actual movie effects. So, in that way, I think they did a nice job. It was kind of nice seeing something that was lower stakes and sort of not quite so flashy. Um, 
it also, it also speaks, probably meant this. Oh, I was going to say it also speaks to you know the fact that it was filmed earlier this year and they were still able to get it out before the end of the year. They they couldn't have a whole ton of 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 CGI and different things like this. Uh, otherwise, you know, you know, with the yeah. other movies and things going on, there's just no way that you'd be able to turn it around in less than a year. Yeah, it's probably one of the least expensive Marvel shows they've ever made, in actual fact, because other than Rocket, who's you know fully CGI all the time, so he's never going to be cheap, and Groot, totally CGI. Did you think he was CGI? Or did you not think about I, it? I I guess I hadn't thought about it that much. I, I guess that doesn't surprise me now that I think about that. But but yeah, I I wouldn't I I would have expected something. Um looking at the character that's on the screen, I was I was surprised it wasn't a guy in like a tree suit to be quite frank, because he was about <laughs> regular human size uh -huh. and build, and you could have put a person in a tree suit and probably gotten away with it. And if you're going for a Star Wars holiday special vibe, there's nothing better you could have done than a terrible, terrible Chewbacca suit in impersonation. Because that is, <laughs> that is absolutely what this movie, or this show really needed, was a non-CGI, obviously fake Groot. So, oh well. Yeah, Groot was a Groot was a teenager in this. Now he he seems to be that kind of a teenager esque. Late teens. Yeah, yeah. Because remember he the uh, the one where he's in, in the in his room at the end of one of them. He was in the early teenage. Yeah, like, that uh, was I think the playing end of video two. games. I think that was mm -hmm. the end of two. And so yeah, we're talking like eighteen, nineteen, college years age old. Groot. Yeah, college Something like that. Yeah. So yeah, and uh, but yeah, I, I thought that I thought that was interesting because I did when I first watched it. I figured that probably it was maybe a slightly CGI enhanced guy in a suit, and evidently that was not the case. So, other than that, I have a question for you, and this is my this is my is this the future of Marvel question. Right, because okay. if this had not been Marvel branded IP, if this had just been random holiday special, would you have watched this? If it was not a part of a show or a series that I was watching, no, I probably would not watch this actually. Like, I'll watch a holiday special if it's part of a show that I'm watching, but just a random holiday special i'm not so sure i would do that just on its own yep and and i think that that's the thing is that and and if these were not even even as it is right now you know i've i've watched this but they're very much depending on the idea that the marvel ip and people's interest in just these characters will drive folks to keep coming back and watching it over again because right. there's not it's a relatively thin sauce and i do wonder how long this can continue you know we have had show after show after show but we're trying to catch up on the marvel universe and they keep throwing logs in front of the road as we're trying <laughs> yeah. to drive down it you know uh -huh. it, yeah. it is amazing how often we are like oh new show we got to stop and talk about because there's more stuff coming and there was something about when they were making like three movies a year where they were all making 750 million to a billion dollars and the graphics quality was always spectacular and it was very carefully curated and now i think that we're getting to be a little more hit or miss in some ways there's a lot more variety and i like a lot of it but I also just think that the overall sort of almost like scattergun approach they're taking could get us in trouble over time. So cause I, yeah. was, I was watching it and I'm like, you know, I don't mind this, but this is not Charlie Brown Christmas to me. You know, this this <laughs> yeah. is closer to Star Wars Holiday Special. Something that's weird 
And if you like Star Wars, it's something you should watch. You know? Mm-hmm. But we're talking like Cloris Leachman and people like this are in the Star Wars holiday special. It is a... It's a feast for the senses. So... I'm interested to see how they move along on this and whether people will continue to like sort of having this much content that's all related to and tied into the MCU. So, that said, I think it was a good idea to to start, you know, using this. And, as I, I kind of want to note, a holiday special is not anything new for us comics fans. Because Marvel's been doing them for a long time in the comics. And in fact, um, from 91 to 2011, there were like nine different holiday special comics that all kind of centered around Christmas stories and Christmas themes and characters having adventures and the like. So, we'll see. I, I will give this a solid, I enjoyed watching it, but I don't know I'm going to watch it a whole lot great. Kind of in the middle. Um, other than the I, songs. I love the I, songs. I will, I will watch it again if for no other reason than to hear the old 97s. Uh, I, I'll read. I'll, I'll happily listen to parts of the soundtrack. Definitely. <laughs> I, I would bet that the songs are going to become a, a holiday regular around mm-hmm. the Newman household. Yeah, so. Are we doing a call out to our listener, listeners here if they had a favorite Christmas comic? Yeah, I, I would like to actually, if uh, if anybody out there is uh, getting ready for Christmas, maybe next week, we've still got a couple of podcasts here before Christmas time. If any of you have a, a favorite Christmas related comic that you wanted us to note for other listeners that they might want to go and track down, that would certainly be something we'd be interested in hearing about. And then... Uh, can, we can give people directions to how to find those if for some reason it's available on a Marvel Unlimited or elsewhere. Sounds good. Any, any final thoughts about the Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special? I think I think we've pretty well covered it. It's yeah. it's it it was fun. I would say if you're into the MCU, if you're into the Guardians, definitely. Why I think watch it once so you have it and. Find find the music on on your your audio streaming platform of choice and and uh, I don't know what Christmas time is but Christmas time is here play play that on repeat for a while. Yep, I I do find it interesting too because it definitely is a show that seems like it plays for kids. It's got very you know family themes and everything else, and then at the very end, for some reason. Um, not Gamora, but the other, her sister, Nebula. Nebula says, "Ah, I guess all actors aren't a piece, aren't pieces of shit, or something like this." Yeah, and I'm just like, that's really discordant with the fact that this should have been a show that really was appropriate to like ages six to whatever, <laughs> and then that's some kind of a kind of a harsh kind of final or, or near final line to throw in to what is very much a family show. So, right. Right. Um, but overall, yeah, I think it's, it's family holiday fun is what it sort of ends up being and good music, kind of goofy. There you go. If you enjoy guardians, you'll probably want to watch it, but hopefully you did before listening to this. So yes, let definitely. us know what you think. This is, this, this is another one where I could get myself in trouble. Because kind of like with Thor Love and Thunder, where I actually didn't hate it, and much of the world really didn't like it, the reactions to this online that I've seen have been almost universally positive. Yeah. Everybody seems to have enjoyed it. And so, and I enjoyed it. I think I just, um, I'm kind of at the point, where, ah, I would like I would like something a bit deeper. Where's my dark tea time of the soul where we get to explore existential existential angst while preparing for the holidays or something and that was not there so anyway we got we got an email this week absolutely kyle sent us a note and actually after we got done taking a look at the iron man 2 movie 
and the Extremist series over the last couple of weeks, he actually said that he'd be interested in seeing us uh, take a look at the Extremist animated series, which is evidently a six-episode animated sort of like cartoon from 2010 that goes over the Extremist storyline. And going out and looking at it, it's available on Amazon Prime, it looks like it is very much almost like like a a literal animated story of the comic. I would really? be really interested in seeing how that goes. I've never seen it, so it would be it would be I new to not. me. So that would be an interesting option to be able to take a look at not only how something's adapted in the comics, how it's adapted in sort of like live action film within the MCU. And then how does it work when you take one of those and adapt a story like that directly into uh, into sort of a, a cartoon, essentially an animated movie, which is in many ways the easiest and the most authentic way probably to adapt a comic book story because you're taking, you know, cartoon pictures and you're just taking away, taking away the gutters and turning them into, into frames instead. So, so that, uh, I have the master list kind of of what we're going to try and do. And there are times where working around a holiday or something like that, uh, sometimes we need an extra week. So that might actually be something we can we can put into the schedule as we're going on here. Be kind yeah. of interesting. Definitely interested in taking a look at that. That, sound, that sounds like a lot of fun. Thank you, Kyle, for the suggestion. I think that is that is excellent. Never heard of that one before, so interesting to find out about it, too. So where are we heading next week? Next week we are back in the Phase 2 storylines. We just finished up with Iron Man 2. We are now heading into Thor 2, Dark World, which, again, much maligned back when it first came out has been experiencing a bit of a renaissance lately, so we'll get a chance to see. I've actually always kind of enjoyed it, but I enjoyed the, the Thor films the first time through as well. What we're going to do in getting ready for that is we're going to read two storylines that lead into it a bit. You've already seen one of the big villains that we're going to be dealing with, Malekith, when we read some of the Walt Simonson stories back before the first Thor movie. But now we're going to actually go in and take a look at Jason Aaron's version of Malekith with Thor, God of Thunder, number 12 through 17 from 2013. This is the storyline that follows right on the end of the Gore, uh, Gore the God Butcher storyline. So like 1 through 5 or 6 were Gore the God Butcher, 7 through 11 or whatever were, God, were the God Bomb storyline. And then right. it goes into this one as okay. Malekith in it. And then War of the Realms is a sort of event series from 2019 where Malekith was one of the major antagonists. Uh, so, got a couple of storylines there to get you ready for that. And kind of a nice, a nice compact two-storyline plan, sort of like we had for Iron Man. Sounds good. And that's going to do it for us for this week. We'd like to thank you all for joining us. If you're new to the podcast, please consider subscribing on your podcast player of choice. That way you'll get each new episode as soon as it's released. If you have some thoughts about Guardians of the Galaxy and the holiday special, we would love to hear, hear them from you. You can interact with us on social media via Twitter. We are at Comics Over Time. We're also on Hive Social, at Comics Over Time there as well. You can also be reached via email. That address is comments at comicsovertime.com. We're going to get emails telling me to stop being such a grump and just enjoy life, I think, yeah. on this one. And I probably yeah. deserve that. So. <laughs> I, I thought the holiday special was a nice little uh, treat, I guess. That's a, yep. best, a stocking stuffer, if you will, thinking in the holiday spirit. But we're going to go back to a sequel that to a very enjoyable first Thor film. And I would tell you that Thor Dark World is actually one of the few MCU films I have not actually watched yet. Because I, I watched the, the Iron Man stuff and then I kind of really picked up uh, 
in the middle, like anything that Iron Man was in, that's what I watched. And now we're going back and I'm seeing and I really enjoyed the first Thor film. And I'm very interested in seeing how Thor Dark World is because I have not heard particularly great things about it. Yes. Yeah, it uh, at the time it was it was definitely considered to be sort of a not not a not a high point for what Marvel was doing. But again, in retrospect, I think there's a lot of people who've been enjoying it, and it's still a pretty it's a fun show. So we will get ready for it. We'll take a look. We will have you as prepared as you can be to enjoy and experience Thor: Dark World. So next week we get started on it. And the books that you're going to be reading, I think you're going to enjoy. Uh, Jason Aaron, he, he knows how to write Thor. So, yes, there we go. Until next week, everyone, take care. Yep, see you later, folks. Have a great one. Bye.